The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, bud? Not much. Uh, It's been a fun weekend, and let's get into it. All right. Know the Score is brought to you by CSPN. You can find us at www.cspn.us. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. You can also follow the show Twitter account at KTS Pod. You can follow Dwayne on Twitter at The Libra Icon, and you can follow me on Twitter at Don Delorente. So this past weekend, we had the Sweet 16. The NCAA tournament resumed on Thursday night. And the first couple of games, we had a thriller and a blowout as we had Michigan blow out Texas A&M. I don't think Texas A&M had 40 points with like 16 minutes to go in the second half. It was just a massacre. Michigan hit like 18 threes. It was it was quite the display. And the darling of the tournament, Loyola Chicago, beat the cardiac kids of the tournament, Nevada, in a thriller and another last-second victory for the Ramblers. They keep marching on. Florida State, they got past Gonzaga. Kansas State, they upset Kentucky. A lot of people thought, including me, that maybe Kentucky was playing their best ball and things had opened up in their bracket for them to make a run. But no, Kansas State shuts them down and they advanced. Villanova, by way of a big second half run, proved my co-host Dwayne Wright and West Virginia folded underneath the lights as Villanova moved on to the Elite Eight. Kansas had an impressive victory over Clemson. Uh, this looked like a scrimmage with referees and fans in the in the crowd. Uh, they were up by 30 uh, early in the second half in that one. Duke, they took down fellow foe Syracuse in the battle of the 2-3 zones. And Texas Tech, they quietly advanced as they defeated Purdue, who was again without their big man, Isaac Haas. So then we moved into our Elite Eight matchups and a lot. Ola Chicago, the slipper still fits all the way to the final four as they defeated Kansas State. They got up as much as 20 in the second half. And of course, Kansas State made one last run. Kansas State got it within as low as seven within the last few minutes. But Loyola Chicago executed, made their free throws down the stretch. And Dwayne, Loyola Chicago from buzzer beater to beat Miami in the first game. All the way to the final four. I mean, what can you say? This is a team that came out of a very good basketball basketball conference. Um, this is a team that actually replaced Creighton in 2013 when Creighton left for the Big East, and it's proved to be a valuable replacement uh, a few years later. Uh, even after the Wichita State departure, somebody had to take the perch in that conference loyal chicago quietly built their roster over the years to get to this point and now you know it's a good look for the valley it's a good look for college basketball as a whole it's a great uh, story uh, with sister gene and and everything around them so congratulations uh to them the fourth 11th seed to reach the final four lsu george mason vcu and now the Ramblers. So 
Uh, this is actually the only team from the state of Illinois to have won a national title, and they they have a shot for a second one. Yeah, very interesting history um, with this team. Um, if you go back, um, they've been doing a great job of just documenting that national championship team and kind of all the um, benchmarks and, and, and barriers that they broke along the way with that title run. So this has just been so much fun watching these kids play. I love watching them play. They uh, they play that, you know, four round one and all those guys can drive and pass and shoot and they make the right plays and, and they just play smart and they play together. It's very entertaining. Next up, Michigan used a strong second half of defense to hold off Florida State and continue their run that started back in the Big East tournament to advance to the Final Four. Um, Florida State, uh, if Leonard Hamilton recruited some kids with some basketball IQ, they might be the ones going to the Final Four and not Michigan. Uh, This really was a a tight game. Nobody really had more than a 10-point lead uh, on either side. And Michigan just made the winning plays down the stretch. Florida State uh, had a chance to tie. They were down three with more than 25 seconds to go. Decided to go for the three. They missed it. And then, of course, Michigan makes their free throws to pull away. So your thoughts on uh, Michigan? You know, they've been the hottest team in college basketball. Um, That run they went on in the Big Ten tournament, they took a week off while everybody else, um, you know, played their conference tournaments. I had a, you know, question, would they have rust or rest? And clearly it's been rest as they have advanced to the Final Four. Yeah, them looks like Loyola Chicago had a week off, and it was clearly rest instead of rust. And John Beeline has done a great job with this program since he's taken over. Uh, He's become the winningest coach in Michigan basketball history as well as getting them to the national title game uh, in 2013. So it looks like this will be on the – of course, it's the first game of the uh, Final Four doubleheader. And it's going to be very interesting to see these two teams go at it. They both have had a combination of skill and a little bit of luck on their side as well. But for one of them, it's going to be um, lights out and – I expect a great game between the Michigan has been very, very streaky. They've shot the ball very well, but I want to wonder now, my concern is how are they going to do when, you know, the lights are on extremely bright. Can they keep the hot shooting going or will the streak end? Yeah, both teams are going to be playing a very similar style as they're both going to be playing four round one, shooting a lot of threes, doing a lot of driving and kicking. So, you know, Loyola Chicago matches up very well with Michigan. It's not going to be anything that they're, you know, it's going to overwhelm them. Um, the athleticism is not really in Michigan's favor. You know, they're not super athletic on their side. So, you know, this is a game that Lola Chicago definitely can win if they shoot well and, you know, just play the smart basketball that they've been playing. So, you know, they have more than a puncher's chance in in this game. Next up, we're going to move over to Villanova as they pulled away in the second half over Texas Tech to advance to their second Final Four in the last three years. Um, they've kind of been the steady Eddie, I think, of the tournament. They just kind of go out there, handle their business. They're not flashy. They got a bunch of you know older guys who know what it's about. They've won a national championship, like I said, second Final Four in three years. And um, you know they look kind of the most uh, composed team or the most you know experienced team as far as this stage goes. Your thoughts on just Villanova, uh, what they did to Texas Tech in the second half, and kind of their chances, because uh, we'll talk about who they'll face next. Yeah, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. Um, You know, they conquered. They did the same thing to Texas Tech that they did to West Virginia, went on a big run. They clamped down on defense when they need to. 
Um, kind of like the Sweet 16 when they were down against West Virginia. And while Texas Tech was making their run, they clamped down on defense. So when they when the call was needed to get in the game or to do what they need to do to pull away from their opponents, it, the defense is really good. Um, DiVincenzo had a couple big dunks late in the game. Um, you know, if you just thought he was a three-point shooter, he proved wrong there. Um, this is a team that plays very well inside and out. And it's going to be one heck of a matchup with their opponent that they have uh, in the second game of that Final Four. And that opponent is none other than the Libra Icons' beloved Kansas Jayhawks as they advance to the Final Four after an instant classic with an overtime victory over the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, They did the country a favor, didn't let Grayson Allen, (laughs) Coach K, advance to the Final Four weekend. Uh, this was just a great game. Um, you know, I don't think anybody had more than like, I think Kansas might have got out to like an eight or nine point lead during the second seven. half, seven point lead during the second half. But yeah. that was the biggest margin for either team. Just, you know, tremendous plays back and forth on both sides. Um, and, uh, you know, just a tale of basically Grayson Allen getting close at the end of regulation, that shot not going in, and then he trying to take over the overtime and not give the ball to Bagley when it was clear that he was starting to establish himself. And Kansas, uh, after uh, – what's your big man's name? The guy who has – Azabuki. Injury. Yeah, after Azabuki uh, fouled out, they clearly weren't going to be able to handle him on the inside. And, uh, you know, Grayson Allen just went full Grayson Allen and basically shot him out the game. So uh, your thoughts on your boys, the Kansas Jayhawks, getting this in your class to the Final Four finally. Well, it's been two Elite Eight heartbreaks, um, the Villanova heartbreak in 2015, um, and then, well, 2016, I should say, and then the last year where, you know, it was a virtual home game and Oregon shot shot us out the building, and I wanted that one for, I wanted the Final Four for uh, Frank Mason that year for all the work he's done, but Devontae Graham, Speedman, High Luke, um, and the seniors on that class, they very well deserve it. You know, this is what they've been wanting to get to to this point. And it's uh, been a rough two years, but they finally got over the hump. And it's been it's been crazy because a lot of a lot of, you know, analysts and experts were not very high on this Kansas team. Um, so, you know, a lot of them picked the field against the Jayhawks in the streak for the Big 12 uh, title. Uh, which they ended up winning, that they won the Big 12 tournament. Then they were much maligned and picked to be the the one, the number one seed to lose to a 16 against Penn. And, you know, even though we did end up having a 16 over one, it wasn't the Jayhawks. And so this team has really ended up becoming one of the more special Kansas teams, even though they lost three games at Allen Fieldhouse. They were called soft by their own coach. And, um, you know, it's kind of more of a way to get them motivated. Uh, they lost to Oklahoma State on the 120th uh, reunion weekend of the Jayhawks basketball and was roasted by Bill Self. So this team has come such a long way to get over get over that hump. And the, the guy who's really still on the show since the postseason began hasn't even been Devontae Graham. It's been Malik Newman. He scored all 13 points of Kansas's overtime period and thanks Grayson Allen for shooting um 
duke out the game. You know, you know, and there was a controversial call with Wendell Carter. Was it a block or a charge? I mean, he was outside the restricted area, but he was kind of leaning in a little bit. But you can't tell a Duke fan that, so I'm not even going to go into that further. Uh, but it was a good game. I'm looking forward to Villanova. It's going to be a house divided between my parents, my dad being from Philadelphia, going for Villanova, my mom going for Kansas. So I, I just hope that my dad isn't on the couch by the end of the night. <laughs> This isn't. This hasn't been a typical Jayhawks team. Uh, Bill Self, like Roy Williams, likes to have two traditional big guys, a, a center and a power forward, and a, and a good size small forward as well. So you have that, you know, backcourt, or I mean, excuse me, that front court. That's that you know, it's got some trees back there, and he's had to kind of go to a four round one offense this year too. And I just think it took him a while to adjust to that because you know he's one of the best. Uh, you know, uh, high low coaches in the country when it comes to the, running that type of offense. But, you know, he had to do something completely different this year. And I just think it was, you know, the guys getting used to their roles and, and figuring out, you know, how to play that style of offense was, wasn't, I'm sure, what they practice in the training camp, you know, all summer leading up to the season. Right. And not only that, it was also, you know, and you got to give LeGerald Vick a lot of credit because he's really had to play the role of that four in the high-low offense. I mean, if you remember the overtime period where Newman hit the three in the corner, mm-hmm. it was LeGerald Vick who came right in the middle where that four guy would be normally, and he put that skip pass out to Newman who drilled the three and your, your coach, put Kansas up your, for good. Your coach makes me mad because that play was there like all day. All you had to do was just like run the same play and just call <laughs> mirror. So it just goes from a different side every time. And right. you guys could have blew Duke out when you guys had that seven-point lead. But then all of a sudden, he started doing something different. I don't know, trying to get that back door. And they did that like yeah. three times. And like twice, it went out of bounds. And once, you guys got an offensive foul. And it let Duke come back. And they got back in the game. And it was like, why are you doing that? Yeah, that's usually what they also like to do. I mean, because a lot of teams are expecting them to shoot the ball. So they do. So Graham will drive. Newman will drive. Uh, they're they're either looking to drive and kick or drive and lob to the big man, either D'Souza, Lightfoot, or Azubuki. And it's really been more either Azubuki or D'Souza um, that's been the guys doing the lob. So uh, it's one of those things where they could have continued to just run that um, high-low and keep, keep keep running the shoot. Playing inside out, that's what I'm trying to say. They mm-hmm. could have continued to play inside out. Flash some answer to the free throw line and pass yeah, out. Exactly. Uh, but I think they also wanted to keep the defense honest as well. Uh, and they do that a lot. They will keep the defense honest because teams are expecting this team to shoot a lot. So they have to drive to either get to the free throw line or even, you know, set up the lob. That's how Zabuki's got that field goal percentage. Uh, the top field goal percentage in the country because that's what they do. They will lob it up to them quite a bit. All right. So the matchups this weekend will be Lola Chicago versus Michigan in the first game. And then Villanova takes on Kansas in the second game. So in our too early to call it predictions, Dwayne, who you got? I'm going to say the clock will strike midnight on Loyola Chicago. And I think Michigan will get them. Got really high on Michigan basketball, but I think that I think that Michigan will get the upset win and 
go on to uh, the national championship. Um, I think for Devontae Graham, he's got that Villanova game in his mind, and I think he's also due for a big game. He's been kind of the secondary option in terms of scoring. I think this will be his breakout moment. I think Kansas gets by Villanova, and then we have Kansas and Michigan and a West Virginia fan's worst nightmare because, remember, John Beeline used to be the coach at West Virginia against a team that has been West Virginia's arch nemesis, and I think Kansas pulls it off. I'm going to go ahead and say that right now. Kansas pulls it off. If they don't win, Kansas-Villanova winners win the championship. All right, there you go. Our prediction from the Libra Icon. Now, of course, with the uh, tournament going on and the end of regular seasons and team seasons, there's going to be some coaching hirings and firings. So we've had a bunch of hirings take place as we had the most recent news came out as Chris Mack will leave Xavier to become Louisville's new head coach. Longtime Duke assistant Jeff Capel is leaving his perch to become Pittsburgh's next head coach. Dan Hurley, fresh off his run through the NCAA tournament with Rhode Island, is going to take the UConn job. Tom Crean is going to leave the coziness of the ESPN booth and studios and take the Georgia job. And Penny Hardaway gets the Memphis job as he takes over for uh, Tubby Smith. So, Dwayne, kind of, you know, what stands out to you as far as those uh, five hirings or maybe there's somebody that I didn't mention that uh, was on your radar that got hired as far as these uh, coaching moves go? Well, the one that stuck out to me, uh, we, you and I had a debate over Tom Crean and the Georgia job. I told you so. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, uh, just to set it up for the folks uh, on Twitter, um, you were uh, defending Georgia as being a good job. And I was like, Georgia, why would you go to Georgia when Pittsburgh is a job that's open in the ACC? And it was a pretty good job when Jamie Dixon was there, but you won out. Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually kind of the perfect situation for Tom Crane. Um, you know, it's kind of similar to the Indiana job. Like, uh, this is, especially with the SEC, a lot more open now. It's not just Kentucky's league and everybody else anymore. This is a league that has Tennessee finally coming to rising to the occasion. You have Auburn. You have Kentucky, of course. You have South Carolina. And so Tom Green, if he can keep um, those Atlanta recruits in Atlanta, then you have a definite uh, chance to build a winner at uh, UGA for basketball. Uh, Mark Fox, um, I think the job was just a little too much for him. I think he'll get a job in a mid-major or a low-major pretty quickly. Um, but it's a real good hire for UGA. Penny Hardaway, I think just the name alone is going to keep Memphis kids in Memphis. Do kids, and, oh, well, I was about to say Memphis kids. I was about to say, do kids in the country know Memphis? But I mean, I mean no Penny, but yeah, kids in Memphis know Penny. Yeah. So kids in Memphis, yeah, they know Penny. Um uh, I think if I think if kids across the country if they are sneakerheads, they probably are aware of that of the legend of Penny. Um, but it's just it's going to be interesting to see how that job plays out because a lot of a lot of former players who end up going to coaching, unless you're like a Dan Marley at Grand Canyon right now or um, some other. 
it's really hasn't really been all that great. Some some have been successful, others haven't. A um, couple of hires that uh, that weren't mentioned: uh, Kermit Davis. He was a longtime head coach at Middle Tennessee. He was the coach that led Middle Tennessee as a 15 to upset second seed Michigan in 2016. Uh, he took the head coach job at Ole Miss, and and then there was one more that stood out. Oh yeah, UVA's. Um, not only did UVA lose as a one to a sixteen, they lost their top assistant Ron Sanchez to Charlotte, uh, so to be the Forty ers head coach. All right, so that's the reset of the college basketball landscape. As there'll be some uh, new faces in different places on the sidelines when next season resumes. At this point, we just want to remind you that this is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. And you can find Note the Score on the CSPN at www.cspn.us. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. So, Dwayne, we're going to shift into a little bit of NBA action as Steph Curry returned to the court from his ankle injury. He was out about two and a half weeks. And he was cooking. The chef was in rare form. He had 29 points about midway through the third quarter. And then disaster struck as he got bumped into very similar to Kevin Durant's injury last year. And he has a grade two MCL sprain. And he will be evaluated in three weeks and likely to miss four to six weeks. So as we documented last week on the show, the injury bug has hit the Warriors hard, and we were kind of wondering, was this kind of like a blessing in disguise because everybody would be rested? But uh, I don't think that's a blessing anymore because, you know, Curry looks like he's going to miss the first round for sure, and they're definitely not going to have him do what he did a couple of years ago where he's about 75% and going to try to just tough it out through the playoffs. They're going to make sure that he's 100% to go through the long haul of the playoffs. So uh, how does this injury assess your outlook for the Warriors when it comes to the long-term uh, playoff run, man? Well, it's going to depend on who they play in the first round. Um, I wouldn't want to see a team like the San Antonio Spurs who can, if they somehow fall to the seventh seed, this would be a possible upset special. You know, Curry is a difference maker, and it's, it's really bad because, you know, you want you want the best teams with the best players at the best time of the year. And now, you know, you got the injury bug. The injuries are part of the game. And it's it's just a unfortunate situation for Golden State. I just hope that, you know, everybody else can get healed up in time. And so, you know, when the first round comes about, whoever the opponent is, we should see a – um, more even matchup. Uh, so, like teams like the Spurs or even the Thunder, if they fall, if they fall to that, fall to that seven seed, uh, those would be two of the teams I would not want Golden State to see in the first round. All right, yeah, it just seems like um, if they can get the other guys back, Clay, KD, Durant, uh, or excuse me, uh, Draymond, with the you know the stretch that their bench and their, you know, other players have been playing these very critical minutes. They can probably survive that first round. They may go to six games when they might've just swept if they had their whole team, you know, healthy, but you know, the, the quicker they can dispatch these teams, the better it'll be because it'll give Steph some more rest. And the way the playoff schedule is set up that first round is going to take like 10 days anyway. 
So he's probably going to get three or four extra days in that first round that you don't get in the second and in the conference finals and the finals as far as how the games are stretched out to play. Yeah, because of the way the NBA stretched the schedule this season. So the first round is going to be quite a marathon. Yeah, so he's going to get some built-in extra rest, you know, some extra days in there just based off the schedule. So if they handle their business in the first round and, you know, he recovers well, you know, he should be all good to go. At least that's what they're hoping for the second round matchup. There was also another knee injury and a surgery that took place, but this time it took place in Boston as Kyrie Irving underwent surgery on his knee and he's expected to miss three to six weeks. So again, um, trying to get a guy healthy right here before the playoffs. Uh, apparently, you know, this has been kind of a lingering thing that's been hap- going on since the all-star break. And they finally decided just to shut him down and, you know, let's make, you know, we're going to make a run. Let's have you be as healthy as possible. So Boston is basically conceding to be second in the uh, East, maybe third with the way that the Cavs is like, they're starting to, you know, get it back going again. Um, what does this absence do for the Celtics? They've kind of been dealing with injuries all season, uh, but this, this is their biggest gun getting taken out of the lineup for a significant time. And it sucks as a C's fan, but uh, Terry Rozier has been playing very, very well uh, in Kyrie's absence. He's really shown why he was worth the first-round pick. Um, he had 33 um, the other night. I think it was against Phoenix. And so uh, he's been playing very well um you got you got Al Horford back um, you got uh Marcus Morris who's missed the last few games but uh, he had some pretty lights out performances uh Jason Tatum who's who's really been solid this season as a rookie Jalen Brown's back from uh going through the concussion protocol I think as long as if Rozier can continue playing the way he has been playing, I think it will steady the ship until Kyrie does come back. And then you also have the fact that when Marcus Smart returns from injury as well, and that will be another factor in ensuring the sustainability of Boston. All right. As I mentioned before, the Cleveland Cavs have kind of looked like they're trying to find their mojo again. And LeBron James has been playing outstanding basketball this month. As he set an NBA record with 17 assists with zero turnovers in their showdown win versus the Raptors. Um, just phenomenal. The Raptors did the cardinal sin, though, at the end of the game. They're uh, trying to, you know, get one last shot at it. They're down, I think, one. Uh, Cleveland's got the ball. LeBron's got it at the top of the key. Just shot a three and missed. Gave him a chance to get within one. And then uh, he comes back down. You know he's going to drive it, and they don't trap him, and they let him get below the free throw line. And, of course, he makes the smart play over to Kevin Love for three, and that was the icer, and that was the 17th assist without the turnover. So uh, just talk about LeBron. Uh, just right now, it's like Cleveland's kind of getting some guys healthy. Um, Kevin Love came back. Uh, Nance is back. And it looks like they're kind of reshuffling their roles again, and it looks like they're starting to find a little something that they had before the guy started getting hurt. Yep, and any single time you have a team that has LeBron James on it, you can never count them out, Um, especially a team now that's getting healthier. And this team is just going to be something dangerous in the postseason. And like LeBron said, it doesn't matter what seed they are, um, he's going to go to work. And uh, especially when he goes into zero dark 30 mode in the postseason, uh, this one's going to be something that 
it's gonna be something special. So um, everybody's getting healthy. Everybody's getting uh, their roles defined, and I think when Tyron Lue comes back, that's gonna really up the spirits of the team, and and it's gonna really make uh, another possible championship run. And this game also just showed me once again why I can't trust the Toronto Raptors, even as a number one seed. Um, they they have all they have what it takes to get to the finals, but I don't know if their application of the process to get there. Cause like you said, they did the Cardinal sin and you know, they gave up the dagger three and on their own. Was it, a, was it in Toronto? No, that was, was in Cleveland. It was in Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. But I think even then they would probably do that. Whether it's in Toronto or Cleveland, they would do the same thing. So I, you just can't, this is where you have to pretty much at this point just prove me wrong because I can't trust this team whatsoever. Right, right. Our last NBA note will be about the number one pick of this year's uh, NBA draft, Markel Fultz. He returns to the court for the 76ers. Um, you know, this has been a guy who's been through a lot of trials and tribulations in his rookie year. He got injured. And then, you know, a lot of people are speculating how he got injured. Was it because the Sixers changed his shot or is it because of something else? And then, of course, the drama that has gone into him changing his shot and working on his jumper. But he returns to the court and he got some action in. So talk about how this helps the Sixers as it looks like they're going to be uh, qualified for the playoffs this year. And a lot of people are very, you know, optimistic just about seeing them get this value playoff experience even though they may you know be a one and done type effort um so just talk about folks and maybe how he may be able to you know add a little bit more punch and they can maybe advance to the second round well it's gonna likely be a matchup with the celtics and if they don't have Kyrie irving in the first round they have a uh increased chance of going to the second round but i think this is a young team who um who's going to get a lot of good experience, who's got the veteran presence in uh, J.J. Reddick. They got guys that can shoot. Um, and for Markel Foles, this was something he needed to get on. He needed to get on the court. He needed to play basketball, play his game. And, you know, being able to do that at home with all the with all the crowd in the, in the arena, Showing this team plenty of love, showing him plenty of love that, you know, even when things were looking bleak and, you know, people were ready to write him off, he just showed why he was worth a top pick. And, and uh, it's going to be a very interesting run. Uh, this, this 76ers team has been more fun to watch um, than even teams of the past in, in that organization. So shout out to them. Um, and, We'll see how far they go in the playoffs. All right. Yep. I'll be looking uh, very interested in seeing how folks kind of blends in and kind of, you know, what his range is and, and how much confidence he has and, and how aggressive he is as far as looking for his jumper. And, you know, if he's just going to be trying to, you know, just drive the ball more often than not. So definitely be interesting to see kind of how his game progresses. Indeed. Each and every week, we want you guys to support our sponsors here at CSPN.us. So please go to our website and click on the menu button and scroll down and set and click on any of our sponsors to help keep the podcast free each and every week. But this week, we have a very special 
special thing we want you guys to support, and that's the Universal FanCon taking place this weekend, April 27th through 29th at the Baltimore Convention Center in Baltimore, Maryland. The Universal FanCon, where you can celebrate diversity and inclusion in our fandoms. So please buy your tickets at UniversalFanCon.com. They have information there for tickets, who's going to be appearing on the panels. They even have, um, you know, hotel information. So everything that you need to know or want to know about the Universal FanCon, you can find on UniversalFanCon.com. So please support. Uh, this is what the founder, the curator of Know the Score, Miss Beauty Jackson, has been working so hard on for about the last two years. It's finally about to be here this weekend in Baltimore. So please support. It's going to be a lot of people, podcasts, comedians, a lot of your favorite people that you follow on Twitter are going to be at this uh, Universal Fan Con this weekend in Baltimore. So please support. And, you know, the price of the ticket is worth going to find mail and getting a hug from her because as she will admit she's a great hugger so yes she is <laughs> so uh again that's universalfancon.com for all your information what is it again when yeah it's this weekend april 27th through the 29th that, you mean next or is that next weekend no no oh, next month is, excuse me next month next yeah. month because this is march next month so please <laughs> got a month to get your stuff uh together so please check it out all right Perfect. I can do that. All right. So now we're going to move into a little bit of NFL news. The headlines of the NFL this week were the Giants traded Jason Pierre-Paul to the Buccaneers, fueling rumors that they might select Bradley Chubb at number two. The Giants and Odell Beckham appear headed for a training camp holdout or possible trade if sides can't agree on a new contract. Speaking of a new contract, Dominican Zoo signs a one-year $14 million deal with the L.A. Rams. And the Browns are reportedly choosing between Sam Darnold and Josh Allen for the number one pick. So we'll start with the Giants as they've got two out of the four topics here in the NFL this week. Uh, first, the Jason Pierre Paul trades the Bucks. Um, you know, longtime Giant, two-time Super Bowl champ. Basically, uh, he's basically been the epitome of the Giants' defense the last decade or so, taking over from Michael Strahan, being the leader of that defensive line. Um, he's going, going down to sunny Florida to join Tampa Bay. So I know you don't like to see that. It's one more guy who can get after Cam Newton. So uh, talk about how that impacts the uh, you know NFC, NFC South with Jason Pierre-Paul going down there to Tampa. I mean, it improves the Buccaneers' defensive line. Uh, and, you know, it's not just going to be a problem for um, the Panthers, but also for the Falcons and the Saints as well. Um, so Matt Ryan Drew Brees there in that equation as well. Um, he still is pretty quick. He still has a lot of good moves. He's going to have a nice little uh, partner in crime in Gerald McCoy. And, but, you know, as, mo- as high as I was on the Tampa Bay uh, last year, I don't want to be, look like a fool again. So we'll just have to wait and see how this gels for the Buccaneers as a whole. Yeah, they're definitely buyer beware after last year. I, I was right there with you. I, I was expecting a lot of fireworks from their offense and, you know, their defense is definitely coming along, but um, they definitely were a big disappointment. Now let's move on to the Odell Beckham Jr. talk. As you know, basically, he came out this week and said he ain't touching one blade of grass without a new contract. And of course, that gets the Giants front office to say, "Okay, well, if you're going to play hardball, we're going to play hardball. So, you know, the phones are ringing and he's available. 
So there have been teams, you know, reportedly offering first round picks. The Giants, of course, would want a first round pick or multiple first round picks to, um, you know, relinquish the services of Odell Beckham Jr. So how do you see this ending? Is it just our classic NFL? You know, he's going to get to the last two weeks of training camp. They're going to work something out and he's going to show up on the field. Or could he end up on a different team? If this was anybody else, I would say this would be a... And when I say anybody else, I mean the front office. This was the old regime with Jerry Reese or something. Either A, they'll get something done right before training camp, or B, um, a deal had already been done. But this is Dave Gettleman that we're talking about. And I have had, I've seen guys um, who were looking for long term deals with Dave Gettleman and did not get them. Are you, are, you speaking, uh, are you speaking of Josh Norman as well? Josh Norman as well. That's what um, comes to mind when I think of that situation. Yes. Yeah, so um, between the, the Josh Norman and Josh Norman situation, Dave Gettleman, he will play hardball with you. He's a very – he is someone who, if he believes in something, he's going to stand by it. And, and if he doesn't believe in overpaying for – a certain position, he's not going to do it. So it's like Josh Norman. He didn't want to pay that much money for a cornerback, and and um, he rescinded that franchise tag with the quickness and shipped him off to Washington. So um doesn't matter if you're a star. doesn't matter if you're the key focal point. But um, this is not a pretty situation. I don't think – I think something will get done, though. I think Odell does lurk. I think he does love – playing with Eli, playing for the Giants, but um, certain people can ruin experiences real quick. So we just need to see how this plays out. If he does get traded, it would not surprise me one bit. And it would probably surprise me more if he does work something out versus versus um, being traded. I just think, um, if he, especially if he's coming out and saying that he's not going to uh, set foot on the field without an extension uh, that's not going to go well towards Gettleman at all alright now a team that has been very active in trades and free agency has been the Rams um, I don't know if I guess they do have a luxury type of system in the NFL but they've got to be over the cap somehow some way with all the wheeling and dealing that they've done and I mean 14 million for Indomitian Sue for one year holy smokes yeah that they're really trying to get a lot of um, trying to prove themselves. I think with this added um, LA money or, you know, being in the second largest media market, they can do a little bit more in terms of um, being at or near the cap or possibly over. Um, It's just one of those things where they're really just kind of buying their time as they get ready to open up their new stadium in LA for, for, um, in a couple of years, I think they're going to probably start getting, uh, seats and everything, uh, sold. So they're trying to get that money in pretty quickly. And, and now you got a, you got a pretty formidable duo with, uh, Sue and Aaron Donald. And, uh, you got Marcus Peters at the corner. Um, it's going to be very, very stout defense under Wade Phillips. And, uh, with uh, Jared Goff improving, and just think if the Rams did make a trade for Odell Beckham, think about that. Gurley Beckham Goff 
plus their defense. Yeah, the coach would just have to keep his hands on the steering wheel and not drive the car in the ditch. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the Browns, they have the number one pick. We're about a month away from the NFL draft. And it looks like as uh, as we uh, on our scouting combine and draft special, um, in the bleachers, Mike Felder said that all things in his information pointed to Sam Donald. Well, it looks like Josh Allen, just for the, you know, alternative um, argument, looks like it's going to be this those two guys at the top of their draft board. According to in the bleachers, they should stick with Donald if they're going to, you know, go that route. He's clearly the more qualified or better prepared of the two. Josh Allen's pro day, while his arm strength and his just sheer phys- physical prowess was spectacular, a lot of people were questioning his uh, accuracy. Um, he did not have a very good day throwing the football as far as guys catching it and putting it in places where he needed to be. So you're the GM of the Cleveland Browns. You've got this you know, once-in-a-lifetime draft coming up. How are you starting it, Dwayne? Are you starting it with Sam Donald or are you starting it with Josh Allen? Well, I would never want to be the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. It's just a monumental task to begin with. Kevin Costner made it look cool, though. But did they make the playoffs, though? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, if I had to be the GM, I would probably go with Sam Donald. Uh, uh, he has the perfect combination of arm strength and accuracy, and he is uh, proven – Themselves to be uh, a winner on the field. I like his uh, quarterback IQ, and it would just be the guy you want to um, lead into the next um, generation for the Browns and turning this thing around. And even though you got Tyrod Taylor there, I do believe they signed another backup quarterback. Um, I forgot who it was, but. You really gotta give if you really want to look towards the future. You gotta go with um, Sam Darnold because he's really the guy that is the best prepared quarterback. Um, he didn't really he really didn't make any um, qualms about going to Cleveland or anything of that sort, like Josh Rosen really has, and and um, pretty much Hugh Jackson. He's Looking confident in the in the uh, in the future of the team, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, potential there. More potential than Darnold, and you know, if I draft Josh Rosen, I could see a Ryan Lee situation. So let's not let's avoid that if we can. The thing I think that Sam Darnold might have going for him is that Hugh Jackson is a USC guy, so you know they got that connection. And Sam Darnold had to have his pro day in the rain. It, it it actually rained in Southern California, and they did not postpone it, which a lot of people thought they would. And he uh, went on with the pro day in the rain, and uh, he was really impressive. And so I think if you're kind of, you know, if you're looking at the guy who's got the better accuracy, the better, you know, as far as pro style offense readiness, and you see that he's a good uh, throw of the ball in weather. If you're Cleveland, I think that kind of was the thing that probably put it over the top for Sam Donald. So I would expect to see him have his name called first. And then that's when we get to some very interesting uh, scenarios because the Giants are second. And it looks like they're either going to go maybe running back or 
offensive tackle or defensive end. And then we get to the Jets and they're, they've put themselves in the third spot and they're going to have a smorgasbord of guys to choose from between Lamar Jackson, Allen, Rosen. What do you think you would do if you were the Jets? You missed a name there, Mayfield. Oh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. I would think Broadway Baker kind of sounds like a, sounds like a um, possibility. Um, you know, you do bring in Teddy Bridgewater for a year. You got Josh McCown for another year. Uh, so, you know, you might be looking to make a splash at quarterback. Uh, whether I think they need a quarterback in for the Jets to uh, lead, the, lead the way. So they have plenty of options, even though I think they gave up a lot more than they should have for that third pick. But that's just my personal uh, point of view on that. But I think... I think um, keep an eye out on any of those guys that you said. I can't really think of anybody else they would probably go for at number three, aside from a quarterback, and just have to wait and see what happens when the draft comes. And see, this is where it get where it gets interesting when it comes to my team because once you get past three, when you go from like three to the, where the Redskins are at like thirteen. There's only like one or one team that needs a really needs a quarterback in there. So there's going to be like three of these guys available at 13 when we come up to pick. I don't know. I It's like it's going to be too tempting to probably pass it up. Yeah. And do you really want a quarterback of the future or are you going to really be comfortable with four years of Alex Smith? So uh, it's one of those dilemmas that you do face and. I would not envy the front office of the Redskins right now. Yeah, it's one of these things where, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, it, they made it easy for us because all these teams in front of us need a quarterback, so they snatched everybody up. So we, we just kind of had to pick Jonathan Allen, which was a, the best thing for our team that we needed the most. But this year, you know, like I said, the, the, the Browns and then the Jets are really the only teams in between there who aren't set at some kind of way at quarterback who just didn't acquire a quarterback or, you know, re-sign their quarterback that they had. So, you know, Josh Rosen may be there at 13 or Baker Mayfield may be there at 13. And then that's going to be, can the front office decide if the kid that I want, the defensive tackle from Washington, who could like help you this year, make the playoffs. If that's, more valuable to them than having a kid in house that can help you in, you know, the next 12 years make the playoffs. So, right, right. And I would probably have, it just depends on the mindset. Do they want a playoff berth or do they want um, long term su- success, even like showing up that defensive line? Because if you get that defensive tackle from Washington, that shores up a lot of, you know, running. That shows up the defensive run game, which has been an Achilles heel for you guys. Right, right. So yeah, that's going to be a very interesting. It's going to be a very interesting draft this year, um, just because there's so many um, linebackers this year, or, or like a one of you know, every year there's like a big quantity of group of guys who are coming out. And this year it's a linebacker, so you might see a lot of linebackers picked in the you know those later picks before the Redskins pick that you know ten, eleven, twelve, nine might be like the run on linebackers in, and then it'll really get interesting. (laughs) 
when the skins get ready to pick at 13. So um, I'm looking right. forward. I'm looking forward to just the way this draft, you know, every year the draft kind of shapes up in its own ways. You know, somebody does something different or somebody picks somebody, you know, and then it starts to run. So I'm waiting to see kind of how this year's draft uh, works mm-hmm. out and, and how it's going to shape up. So, yeah. At this point, Dwayne, I'm going to open it up to you for your final thoughts. Uh, if there was a topic that we didn't cover that you want to touch on or just give some shout outs and thank yous. Uh, yeah, shout outs to everybody that's listening. Uh, shout out to CSPN. Um, I also like the Bad and Boozy podcast, Wine Madness Bracket. Uh, that was a nice little play also. Uh, pretty dope there. I... Also want to shout out the San Jose Sharks. Um, eight straight wins right now. Probably one of the hottest teams in the NHL. Uh, peaking at the right time. And they still haven't got their longtime veteran back yet. Uh, Joe Thornton um, kind of started to feel a little confident about the Sharks, even though they still trail Vegas by six points in the standings. Uh, they still have an outside chance for the Pacific Division title or a meeting with the longtime hated rival LA Kings. So I'm hoping my hockey team will continue to perform well and take it into the postseason uh, and um, try to do some damage to the Stanley Cup playoffs. All right. I'd like to just thank my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne, for joining me this week. I'd like to thank everybody here at CSPN.us, all the podcasters, creating the content, putting in the work. I'd like to thank the chairman, for uh, doing all the editing he's going to have to do after we finish the show. And um, my final thought would just be uh, prayers and thoughts to the family of Zeke Upshaw. Uh, He was a young man who collapsed during a G League game this week, and uh, he passed away. Um, Just, you know, very sad uh, guy just out there pursuing his dream, trying to be an NBA player, living his dream, you know, getting paid to play basketball, hoping to, you know, make it to the you know biggest league in the world and, you know, to have his life cut short in such a, you know, tragic manner, just, you know, very heartfelt uh, prayers out to his family and friends. You know, I grew up in the era as well as you, Dwayne, of Lamb Bias and Hank Gathers. So, you know, you know, we don't have really good experiences when it comes to hearing of somebody collapsing on the court at all. Um, and so, you know, when I heard that, it's just like, oh, man, I, I hope it doesn't end the way that, you know, the previous times have. But unfortunately, um, it did not go well for Zeke Upshaw. So just, you know, just start some prayers to his family and friends. And and um, just a, it's just such a tragedy, man. All right. Agreed. And can't forget Reggie Lewis as well. Same thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just a, a sad note, but, you know, just rest in power to Zeke Upshaw. So for that note and my co-host, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente. And now you know the score.